Now imagine you get a phone call from some friends and they have a baby that has been born at the hospital. And you arrive at the hospital and you go what would be the second floor here uh, to the nursery and you look through the window and you're looking for the right name and then there he is. He's, he's lying in a little bed. He's cute. He's got a little cap on, got his little mittens on so he doesn't scratch up his face with his little fingernails. And you're going, oh, he's so cute. And, and at that moment, that little baby looks at you and gives you a wink. And then he stands up and he flexes his little arms and he beats his chest. And then you hear this cute little baby say, look what I've done. I've done it birth. I'm here. Man, I conquered. I stayed with it, but I accomplished being born into this world. And you kind of rub your eyes and you think, am I really seeing this? Because indeed would be quite, quite silly, quite the sight. But more than anything, we hear this story and we go, it'd be impossible. Babies don't do that. Babies don't boast of their own birth, of what they did, what they accomplished. Man, it was tough, but you know what? I'm here. No, they receive a gift of life and they have nothing to do with their birth. And as silly as this illustration is, this is, this is an illustration that Jesus uses with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a well-known teacher of the Pharisees. He's a smart man. And yet Jesus uses an elementary principle of birth to get to his heart. And so, read with me, starting in John chapter 2, in verse 23. Now, he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, here's the first statement we have. If those who are born from above recognize their own inability. Those who are born from above recognize their own inability. The response of the people here at the end of John chapter 2, before we get to Nicodemus, is one of mind-boggling but not mind-transforming, which means this. They were in shock. They were in awe. They were in amazement due to the signs of Christ Jesus. But it only made an external impact. It did not get past the, the skin. It did not get to the heart. It did not get to the real seat of man, his emotions. It brought no change there. It just brought excitement among the people. For we hear that many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. 
So if we were to stop right here, if we were to continue no further, we were to end it right here, we would walk away with the impression that miracles and signs are enough for man to, be, to believe and to be saved. And say, yes, of course, if God would just show me a sign, if he would just work a miracle, I would truly believe, I would truly be saved. But we learned in the Old Testament that this is not true. Miracles and signs were never enough. Man always needed more confirmation with his eyes, what his heart could never comprehend apart from the saving grace of God. And so each moment that God provided for them became a more pressing moment and dire than the previous moment. And it is no different when God comes to live among the people, meaning God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Many followed him while he worked miracles and did many signs, but almost everyone abandoned Christ at the cross. So many may have believed. But get this, Jesus did not believe in them. Wow. You say, no, that's strange because I hear all the time of people who don't believe in Jesus, but I don't hear often that Jesus doesn't believe the people. But they had a belief, but Jesus didn't believe them. You said, no, where where are you coming with this crazy teaching? Right from the scriptures. It's right here in front of us. For Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Entrust is the same word as belief. It's the same exact word in the Greek, pistiwo. It means belief. But why? Is Jesus cruel? So cruel that if somebody were to believe in him, he would reject them and say, no, I can't have any part with you because I don't believe in you. Is Is that what's going on here? Is Jesus pushing people away? Is he making salvation unavailable to those who appear to be able to believe? Is that what's happening here? And the answer, of course, is no. That's not what this means. What it does mean is that Jesus knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. First, how does God know? How does Jesus know all people? How is he able to know all people? Because he created all people. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus Christ was there in the very beginning and that he created? He created these people. He knows these people. He can see to their hearts. So he's able to see what we cannot see on these pages right now. So with that, notice what the Apostle John does not say. He does not say he needed no one to bear witness about the Messiah. He says he needed no one to bear witness about man. See, they did not see Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, as God in the flesh. They just saw him as an incredible man. They missed that he was God in the flesh. They did not know what was truly in him, but he knew what was truly in them. Today, you may be here and you don't know what Jesus is truly about, but he knows what you're truly about. He knows knows every intricate detail about you, how your body's been put together. He knows how you have been uh, corrupted by the fall of man. 
He knows your sin, every sin you've ever committed. He knows that. He knows what you're thinking in this moment, whether you're saying, I don't buy this, Brian. He knows that you're thinking that. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He knows what is within man. What is within man? Sin. He sees their sin. All of man's inner faculties, the mind, and that also includes the conscience, the emotion and will are polluted and perverted with sin. Everything about you, all of your reasoning, our intelligence is corrupted by sin. There's not a single piece of us that has been left unto itself to be pure, to think lovely thoughts of God. No, everything about us has been corrupted due to the fall of sin. This pollution and perversion, where does it come from? It comes from the heart of man. It may be frustrating to you because you say, no, 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 no. I've seen a lot of pollution. I've seen a lot of perversion. And it hasn't come from me. It's, it's come from society. It's come from somebody who has harmed me. And yes, although those things may be true, it also comes from your very own heart. Here are the scriptures. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand the heart? James 1, 13 and 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself Tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. What leads to temptation? What leads to the fall in your life? The very things that come from your own heart, from your own seat of emotions. Your own desires lead you astray. God doesn't lead us astray. God doesn't lead us into temptation, for he himself cannot be tempted He's above all of that. He has authority over all things, but yet we, from our very own hearts, are led astray. If you're not convinced enough, let's hear another scripture. Mark 7, 15, when Jesus, speaking to religious rulers, he says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. It's not by outside practices, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Wow, right there within us are things that come out of us that defile us, that make us guilty before a holy God. For he has nothing coming from within him that defiles him. Nothing from outside that can defile him. He is holy, but for us, it comes from our hearts. It is produced from the idol-making factories of our hearts. We are that wicked we are that separated from a holy God. But I know the response. I do. I've heard this response often. And here it is. You may say, oh, I know plenty of good people who do not know Jesus that have been so good to me. Well, here's the truth. They may have been good to you, but they have never been good to Jesus. They have never been good to God. They may do nice things for you, they may take care of you. They may have saved your life here on this earth. But if they do not know God, there is nothing that they do that honors God. And their sin, and their wickedness, and their flesh. 
in their death, meaning they are dead in their sins. There is no good thing that they do before God. Romans 3, 10 through 12, write that down, go back and read over it. It affirms this, but why? Let's continue reading. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now catch this, because we can read right over the details. And John, as he is writing this gospel, he puts a lot of details in here for us to pick up. One is a man. Notice he says, a man. See, Jesus says, I know what's in the heart of man, and I'm not just any ordinary man. I don't need you going and boasting of an incredible man that you saw doing miracles. I'm not just any man. You're man. I know what's in your heart. It's sin. And then he opens up with this in chapter 3, a man of the Pharisees. Pharisees were religious leaders. They had a lot of clout. But when Jesus sees them, he just sees a man. A man of the Pharisees. So if normal, everyday people who were in all of Jesus as being a great man, if normal, everyday people can't be saved by signs and miracles alone, how about the most spiritually elite people? How about them? Can they be saved by miracles and signs? It says, this man came to Jesus by night, at nighttime. Why all the details? Why don't you just say he just came to Jesus and talked to him? Why do we need to know today that it was at night? Why all the extra details? I can assure you it's on purpose. Night refers to, well, it was nighttime, actually. But beyond that, it also relates to darkness, secrecy, and security. How we can run to the darkness for these things. When we're all alone, when no one sees us, Nicodemus wants to break away from the pack. He wants to come and he wants to talk to Jesus because he's seeing things in Jesus that are different than any other man he's ever seen before. He wants to know details, but he comes in the darkness where he can remain hidden. From the beginning of this book, the apostle John has made it very clear that there's a contrast between light and darkness. Remember John 1, 5? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So we will see this contrast of light and darkness throughout the book of John. Here we see it again. Here is a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, coming to Jesus in the darkness at night. And he says this. He calls upon Jesus as rabbi. Nicodemus was a rabbi. And it takes a good rabbi to recognize an amazing rabbi. He says these signs can't be done unless God is with him. Notice that. Seems noble. Okay, what you're seeing is God at work. Good job, Nicodemus. But what he doesn't say is, unless he is God. Because that's who stands before him, God. He's saying, oh, no, 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 you can't do this unless God is with him. I believe God is with me. God must obviously be with you because I've never done these miracles and signs that you're doing right now. It's pretty incredible. Tell me the secret sauce. No, he misses it. This is God standing before him. But this thinking is not within the mind of the unbeliever. The mind of an unbeliever does not recognize God, does not see God clearly, does not see God at all. Here's the name of God, 
may sing the name of God, may read about God, but does not see God. They are blind. Verse 3, John answered him, or Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, on the surface, these are really valid questions, are they not? It makes a lot of sense. Pretend that you have never heard this before. This is the first time you're hearing this and you go, I get it. Yeah, I get why he's asking these questions. But Jesus knows what Nicodemus is thinking and he stops him from going any further. Remember, because he can see into the heart. He knows why Nicodemus has showed up in the darkness. Because your birth, your upbringing, your position, your authority is not enough. It's not enough. Just as being born in the United States does not make us a Christian, so in the same way for Nicodemus, being born as part of the Jews and being a religious leader did not make him a Christian. It did not make him a true follower of Christ. Nicodemus was unregenerate, which means he was born spiritually blind. He was born with a complete inability to understand the truths of God's kingdom. Now, I know what the rebuttal may be to that. You may say, no, 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 I've been around precious babies. There's nothing wicked about them. There's nothing sinful about them. How can they be born? They're born into sin, just like you and I have, were born into sin. One thing that confirms this is if we're not all born into sin, then why couldn't Jesus just be born like us? Even God coming into flesh could not be born like us because he would have been born in the line of sinners, in a bloodline of sinners. He is the second Adam. He was not born of man. See the connection? He's not born of man because he's not man. He's the God-man. God 100%, man 100% living before us. And so Nicodemus is unregenerate. He's not a follower of Jesus. He, like the other people, are intrigued by Jesus. And maybe today you're here and you're intrigued by Jesus, which means you find Jesus interesting. You find that he's a good person. You don't really follow him. You kind of stay at a distance. Maybe you would come to find out more in the darkness, but you don't want to be associated with Jesus. You're just intrigued by Jesus. Nicodemus was intrigued by Jesus. He's unregenerate. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Paul reminds us of our natural person and our inabilities in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Hear the scripture. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Well, you say, well, okay, well, naturally, I think I'll have some spiritual discernment. I'll just dig down deep. I'll find it. And then I'll believe. But what Paul is saying is you can't. A natural man is unable, not just that he isn't motivated enough, not that he just wasn't raised in a home that taught the name of Jesus, not that he wasn't in a Bible-believing church. It's that natural man cannot He's unable to understand. 
Because these things are spiritually discerned. Well, what does it mean to be spiritually discerned? We'll get there in just a moment. But first, we must recognize man's inability. But in the current conversation, Nicodemus has no recognition of his own inability to see the Messiah standing right there in front of him. There's evidence. He's right there, and he doesn't see him. One of the most religious, quote-unquote, religious men in Israel cannot recognize the Messiah when he's looking him face to face. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's clear that Nicodemus does not understand what Jesus is laying down for him. What does it mean to be born again? Well, we use this word born again in many ways today. Uh, One can say that she got in a car wreck and being saved from the experience was like being born again. But all that simply means is having more of appreciation for life and death. Or a new musical artist can burst onto the scene and a genre of music can be born again. Simply taking the genre of music to a whole different level of skill and appreciation. That's all it means to be born again. A political figure can rise up through the ranks and take the reins of leadership, causing their affiliated party to be born again. Oh, there's excitement. But all that means is simply rising to new heights or agendas. All these things, we would say someone is born again, or a party is born again, or a genre of music is born again. But all of these examples fall short of the real meaning of being born again because they all rely on man's ability and power. They all fall short. Even Christians would talk about being born again as if it's something that they themselves accomplished. Steps that they achieved. They did one and then number two and then number three and number three and it led to number four who then they were born again. You see, to truly be born again, we must rely upon the Holy Spirit's power. So number two, those born from above rely upon the Holy Spirit's power. Verses five through eight, follow with me. And and can I just pause for a second? What you're hearing today is, is more so a doctrinal sermon. This is very important for you to take hold of, that we get this right, because this impacts all of our lives. It impacts every application of our life when we get this right. So verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So first, let's look at the interesting statement, born of water and spirit. Now, I know some of your background, you may have been taught that this born of water means that baptism is necessary in order for one to receive the spirit, in order for one to then be saved. And you say, yeah, I mean, water's right here. Why would it not be? But water right here is a representation of the word, like it is in many other places within scripture. You say, really? Can you show me one? Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives, 
as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Can we just pause there and say, what an incredible task that is. What an incredible task. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is only made possible through Christ, by the way. And then verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, this does not refer to husbands to their wives. This is talking about what Jesus did for the church. So don't go home and get out some water and start washing the face of your wife and thinking you're going to cleanse her. That doesn't end well. What does it mean? The washing of the water with the word. This means the word must go forth in order for a man to be saved. The proclamation of the word must go forth. The hearing and understanding and knowing Jesus must go forth. How will they know unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone is sent, as we see in Romans chapter 10? How beautiful are the feet who go and share the gospel, as we see in Romans 10, 17. So the water is a washing. You say, well, I'm still not convinced. Well, if baptism were necessary, then all the people in the Old Testament who were looking forward to Jesus coming never got saved. And there were a lot of people in the Old Testament who got saved by looking forward to Jesus, just in the same way as you look back on Jesus being saved. There's never been any other way. There was never a lamb that was slain that covered your sin except for the perfect lamb, that being Jesus Christ. We all rely on his blood, whether you came before him or after him. And all in this room, if you didn't know it, we come after Jesus. And we look back on it, but there were many who were born, many who lived on this earth, many by the grace of God who were saved as they look forward to Christ's coming, who did not receive a physical baptism. This physical baptism was not instituted until Christ gathered the disciples after his resurrection and told them to go make disciples and baptize. Baptism is important. Baptism is following in the faithfulness of the word. But the water here mentioned is not baptism. It is the word. The Spirit comes forth then, to awaken us from the dead. How do the two work together, the water and the Spirit? Well, the Spirit comes to regenerate. The Spirit comes to make new. The Spirit comes to wake you up. Because we've already talked about the natural man. The natural man does not see, does not understand. All of us are natural men. All of us are natural women in the flesh. None of us are supernatural. None of us were born differently. We were all born the same, all born in the same bloodline of Adam. So we all have this problem. We cannot see God. We can't. It's impossible. I mean, we can work any way we want to around it, but Scripture is clear. We need the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit come and do? He awakens us from, not sleep, but from the dead. Hear this definition of regeneration. It is the gift of God's grace. It is the immediate supernatural work of the Holy Spirit wrought in us. Its effect is to quicken us to spiritual life from spiritual death. It changes the disposition of our souls, inclining our hearts to God. The fruit of regeneration is faith. Regeneration precedes faith, which means regeneration comes before our faith. Now, if, if you hold to that your faith comes before the Holy Spirit coming inside of you, then I encourage you, keep wrestling with the Scriptures, but make sure that that comes from Scripture and not where we just feel comfortable in our belief. 
But as we see in Scripture, the Holy Spirit comes forth to cleanse, to awaken, to call us to look to Jesus. And when that Holy Spirit comes, it is an effectual call. It is a good call. It is a definite call. We respond. I know this may cause some tension in your soul, but continue to look to the Scriptures and hear the Scriptures. Titus 3, 5 through 6. But when the goodness... Listen to this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, What does it mean to be born again? It means the Holy Spirit is poured out into you. The Holy Spirit comes to awaken you. God works in the heart, His grace, and from the grace-filled heart bursts forth repentance. I believe that's the correct order. And God is good in this. He is right in this. He is just in this because without it, There would be no possible way that bursting forth from us could be true repentance, that we need a Savior. Jesus says this, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, all unconverted people are born and live outside of the kingdom of God. That's every person. All unconverted people are born and live outside of the kingdom of God. One commentary says, what is merely human is inadequate. And the divide between the divine and human power is infinite. No way we could ever cross that chasm on our own. And then Jesus says, born of flesh is flesh. Spirit is spirit. So if you're born of the flesh, you are flesh. You need the spirit in order to be born of the spirit. Let's take it further. No one can evolve into some other kind. Cats do not become dogs. Monkeys do not become men. Each creature reproduces according to its kind. Adam, in his fallen state, could only reproduce his own kind. Fallen men can only produce or reproduce fallen men. We will inherit from our parents, all that we inherit from our parents is a sin nature. What we pass on to our children is a sin nature. We reproduce our own kind. What is born of the flesh is flesh. It can never evolve into some higher kind of life. And that's what Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He says, oh, you look good on the outside, man. You know a lot of the word. But that which is flesh is flesh. You're in the flesh. Fleshly life can never generate spiritual life. Fleshly life can never generate spiritual life. It's what Jesus is revealing to us in John chapter 3, Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Not in sin, oh, uh oh, his mother was being naughty. No, not that. But in sin, flesh bearing flesh, coming from all the way back from the first Adam. Flesh bearing flesh, flesh bearing flesh, flesh bearing flesh. There was no time in history when all of a sudden there was flesh bearing spirit. 
We've always reproduced death. We need the Spirit to come reproduce Spirit. Do not marvel. Man, he marvels at this. I mean, maybe you're marveling right now. You're going, what? Wow. I don't know. Because that was Nicodemus' response. You see, that which is of spirit, meaning born again. Our first birth, as we use the illustration up front, is not a work of our own. That's just crazy to think that you could take any credit for your birth. He said, man, I really rocked it. It was good. It's up to me. No, there's no credit that you receive for being born. Nothing at all. Man, you're a five-star baby, man. You really did a good work. It's not that. No, there's no credit that we receive in birth. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's taking it back to birth. It's, it's not, he's not just saying, hey, be reborn, man. Have some, have some freshness to your life, man. Get a, a new start to life. No, he's using birth for a reason because for Nicodemus, he's hearing about birth and he's going, what's wrong with my first birth? I couldn't ask for a better birth. Be born into the Jews and come into this line and, and be a religious leader. If anybody's qualified, if anybody could go from flesh to spirit, it's me. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You need a new birth, which again requires no work of your own. No credit will be given to you, Nicodemus, for being born again. But if birth wasn't enough, Jesus is so gracious and so kind to Nicodemus that he gives him another illustration. He uses wind. We felt the wind today when we were coming to the building, the wind blowing in our face. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. When you read in Ecclesiastes, it is vanity to go chasing after the wind because you can never catch up to the wind. You don't know where wind's coming from. And in the same way, he's saying, wind blows where it wishes. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit comes upon you. There he is. The wind has hit you in the face. You see, we do not know where the wind comes from, but we feel the effects of the wind. We do not go seeking out the wind. The wind comes to us. The Holy Spirit comes upon us, and we feel the effects of grace. So if Jesus is talking about born again, then Brian, why, why did you start off with saying being born from above? Why do we need to be born from above? And what does it even mean to be born from above? And are you taking a license here to take it far beyond and, and stretching it out of its context? I don't believe so. Verse 7, when he says you must be born again, that word again in the Greek also means above or top. So when he's saying born again, you must be born from above all glory to God, all by God's grace. What happened from that which is above? Did that which is above always stay above us or did that which is above come down to us? Indeed, that which is above came down. So what is our response to being born from above? Number three, those born from above rejoice in Christ's work. You say, how do I know if I've been born again? You rejoice in Christ's work. It's not for you to determine and to look to others. Can they be born again? Can they be born again? Can they be born again? Because God has already called us to go to the nations. 
He has called us to preach repentance. And we trust that there will be people born again. There's no salvation that ever happens apart from God's grace anyway. And so, those born from above rejoice in Christ's work. Now, it's a lot here. We're, we're getting at the very end. And I mean it. I mean it. We're at the very end. All right, listen. Verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Remember, pause, what we saw in 1 Corinthians, the natural man, what can he not do? What can he not see? Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this is uh, compact, man. This is a, what we would call a juicy passage. There's a lot in here to feast on. But we're just going to take a few small bites here at the end. And let me just point this out. He says that no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That which was from above has come down. Has come down. We see that coming down relating to the Old Testament as we talked about, I believe, last week or the week before about the ladder coming down to Jacob. In the same way, that came from heaven down to earth. Jacob didn't fix a ladder in his dream and say, okay, now I'm going to go up to heaven. I'm going to ascend the flesh to the spirit. No, it's the spirit coming down. It's Christ coming down. The ladder, Christ coming down to us. Nicodemus would understand this because Nicodemus has taught this many times, but yet he does not see that the one who is in front of him is the one who came down the ladder. It came down to him. But also it says the son of man, which means he's the king of kings. He's the greater David. Oh, how they would love to teach in the Psalms and how they would love to tell the story of David. People would gather together in homes. And you know what they would do for entertainment? They would talk about the Bible. It was fascinating to them. It wasn't boring to them. It was the center of their fellowship. And these even being people who, who didn't really truly see the Messiah. And so he would have told these stories. He would have passed on these stories. He would have told these stories to children. And he's saying, the son of man, I'm, I'm standing right here in front of you. I'm the king of kings. I'm right here. And then he says this, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Wow. What is Jesus referring to here? Why is he talking about serpents in the wilderness? I encourage you, will you write this down? Numbers 21. Give you a little bit of follow-up. Notice I didn't call it homework, just follow-ups, all it is. Numbers 21, will you read it this week? About God's judgment against the Israelites when they're wandering in the desert and they're saying, we're tired, we're hungry, and this manna, it doesn't taste good anymore. Well, it never tasted good. It was just there to provide for you, to give you strength. You're wandering, and I'm here for you. I've been here for you every day, but I'm tired of your lack of trust. I'm tired of your doubting, I'm tired of your disobedience. And he cursed them and he put serpents among them. And what I love to point out about this story, these fiery serpents, where would they come from? Maybe they were there the whole time, but God had been protecting him from them. 
But all of a sudden he says, serpents, have your way. Go after them. And people began to get struck by serpents. And as they were struck by serpents, they would die. And it says that many people died. It's not a fun way. Not a fun way. There's there's no fun way to die. But being struck by a serpent, a fiery serpent, all of a sudden the people are fearful. And they cry out to the Lord. Imagine that. When they have no other way except to look to God, they cry out to him and they say, save us. What does God do? He says, hey, form a serpent, a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, hold it up. And when people are struck, they look to the serpent. What does it do? It represents that which struck them. Your sin, look to the one who would bear your sin, who would be lifted up before all of the camp. You know what this was? It was an immediate remedy, but it was pointing forward for all of those people to know that the true one to come would be raised up for all to see. And you look to Jesus that he pays for your sin. And that's the only way you can be healed. And that's what Jesus says. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life, salvation from sin. So those born from above rejoice in Christ's work. They rejoice in Christ's work. They believe these three things. They believe that he came from above down to them. They believe that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And they believe that without him going to the cross and paying for their sin, there would be no life. That is our message, Christians, to take to the world. That's our message. And we trust that as we share the gospel, the Holy Spirit will be at work bringing them to be reborn, that they would hear this message, that they would repent and follow Christ. And so, you say, I've heard this born again. Why are we talking about born again? It's a similar way of how George Whitfield answered it. Someone approached George Whitfield and asked, why do you always preach that we must be born again? Because he replied, we must be born again. It's that simple. And it is easy. It is very easy that you can go through life being in the local church and miss what it means to be born again. It's not just trying harder. It's not just doing your best, but it's coming to a point where you say, there's nothing I can do. I need Jesus. And when you come to him, he sees that in you. He knows what's in you. And he knows that his spirit is at work and he brings about salvation. So here's my question for you today. If you're not a follower of Christ, what's keeping you from following Jesus? What in your life, your viewpoint, what's keeping you from following Jesus? Would you recognize that he came down and lived on this earth? Would you recognize that he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? He is the only one who could go to the cross and be lifted up and bear your sin. Will you believe that today wholeheartedly? And will you just confess that that is indeed true and follow Jesus today? If you're not a follower of Christ, why are you waiting? Jesus is the only way. Be saved today. We'll be standing right up here up front. We'll have some pastors up front. Or maybe you want to write on that card. I want to know more about following Jesus. But would you do one or the other or both? It is that important that today you hear that you must be saved through Christ. For the church, we hear this message, and this message does not cause us to be lazy. You know what this message does? It calls us to go. It gives us confidence that as we share the gospel, we know that we cannot save a single person, but God will save. Will you trust God to save as you go and be a faithful disciple this week? Let us pray. Father, thank you so much 
your grace and your mercy, the only reason that I can stand up here and preach and speak the name of Jesus is because I have been reborn and 100% all credit, all glory goes to you. What a joy it is, how it changes our life to be able to boast in you and no longer boast in ourselves. And anytime we let that sin come forth from our heart to lead us to boast, through the power of the Holy Spirit, remind us that all the boasting we have is in Christ. Father, may this be true among us. I pray that you would continue to save, that people would truly repent and follow, Lord, that we trust that you are good and that you love us. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for John chapter 3. We thank you for the conversation you had with Nicodemus and how it so impacts our life today. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.